Micah chapter 3. Micah 3 is a denunciation of wicked rulers, both civil and religious. It's a denunciation of wicked rulers. Verse 1, And I said, Hear now, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear off their skin from them and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones and chop them up as for the pot and as meat in a kettle? Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face from them at that time because they have practiced evil deeds. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry, peace. But against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. Therefore, it will be night for you without vision and darkness for you without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets and the day will become dark over them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners will be embarrassed. Indeed, they will all cover their mouths because there is no answer from God. On the other hand, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious act, even to Israel his sin. Now hear this, heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and twist everything that is straight, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with violent injustice. Her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe, her priests instruct for a price, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord, saying, Is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the temple will become high places of a forest. Amen. Micah the prophet, the true prophet, now addresses the false prophets and the false leaders, the false rulers, both civil and religious. Both false prophets, false priests, all those who are princes, kings, who are doing evil. We see here in this chapter an example that is a universal and perennial example. It's universal in that it's everywhere, and it's perennial in that it happens in every period of time. And what is it? There are many rulers, both civil and religious rulers. There are many kings, there are many priests, there are many pastors. Yet, the vast majority of them are corrupt. The vast majority of politicians are corrupt, and the vast majority of pastors are corrupt. And also, the vast majority of people are corrupt. The percentage of true politicians, true kings, true, true princes, true rulers, the, of righteous ones is very, very small. And the same with prophets, the same with pastors, the same with people. Very, very few pursue the true knowledge of God, pursue the true gospel of God, pursue true faith, true repentance. Very, very few. 
Micah here is an example of a true prophet denouncing all of the false prophets and the false politicians of his day. We'll see more as we cross-reference this to other passages. Verse 1. Let's review it one by one, each verse, and then highlight some points here. Verse 1. And I said, Hear now, heads of Jacob. Remember that Micah has three main sections. This is the second section. The first one was in chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O peoples, all of you. And then in chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 1, where he also starts, Hear now what the Lord is saying. Well, right here, and going into chapters 4 and 5, he's going to be talking about the leadership. Right here in this chapter, first, a denunciation of the leadership in the second section. Why does he have to say here now, and why do the prophets all often say here now? Even when the apostles in the book of Acts address the people, they often start by saying, listen, O elders, and you who fear God. They will say something like that, because people don't listen. They're thinking about other things. They're, they are distracted, and they're thinking about other things. They don't listen to God's word. Heads and rulers, it's clear who he's talking about. He's talking about the leadership of the nation. He mentions them again in verse 9. Heads of the house of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel. Verse 11, her leaders, her leaders. And then the prophets, false prophets, verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. Even though he says prophets, he means false prophets because of the context. He's talking against them. Even verse 11, her prophets divine for money, meaning for bribes. He doesn't mean they, they shouldn't have anything from the people, receive anything. He means for a, a bribe, a price, as he said about the others. A bribe, a price, and then money. Verse 11, to distort the truth. Okay, we know clearly he's denouncing the leadership, all kinds of leadership. Another thing to notice in verse 1, he calls them of Jacob, of Israel. Of Jacob and of Israel. In verse 9, he says, house of Jacob, house of Israel. Verse 10, Zion, Jerusalem. Verse 12, Zion and Jerusalem. Why use these names? Why? Well, we know who Jacob and Israel, same man, who he was, and then the nation, his descendants, were named after him. The whole nation was named after Jacob, the patriarch, or Israel. That which was a noble and a good example. He was an exemplary person, Jacob was, because he loved God. He walked with God faithfully. He was a prophet of God also. So they named their nation after him. But they are leaning on that. They have false hope in that, and they're defaming that noble name. By their wickedness, though they have the name Jacob or Israel as a country, as a nation, they're defaming it. They're dragging it through the mud. They're not living according to Jacob. Further, verse 1 says, is it not for you to know justice? 
Didn't God teach them true justice by his word? Doesn't his word teach the difference between justice and injustice, righteousness and wickedness? And aren't the leaders supposed to teach the people? Is that not one of their primary duties to teach the people? Verse two, instead of knowing justice, they hate good and love evil. Hate good, love evil. They're supposed to love good and hate evil. It's supposed to be the opposite. This is what the wicked do. They take that which is good and despise it. And they take that which is evil and love it. They embrace it. They'll gobble it all up. Evil people do the reverse of what God expects. Whether they admit it or not, the prophets holding them accountable, many times wicked people will not admit that they're doing evil. But it is evil. And what do they do? Verses two to three, they tear off their skin from them, meaning the rulers tear off the skin of the people, their flesh from their bones. They eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones and chop them up as for the pot and as meat in a kettle. He's talking about the exploitation of the people and describing it in graphic terms as a wild animal pouncing on a domestic animal. He's describing it like that, like a lion, a bear, a wolf, pouncing on a domestic animal, such as sheep. And when a lion pounces on sheep, or when a wolf pounces on the sheep, this is what they do. The people were supposed to be led by shepherds who cared for the sheep. Sheep, they can be, they can be sheared, but they're not supposed to be skinned. Here, they're not only skinning the sheep, they are butchering the sheep to death and enjoying the consequences of it. That's what the leaders are doing. We saw in chapter two, verse eight, an example of this. Two, eight, recently, my people have arisen as an enemy. You strip the robe off a fellow Israelite from unsuspecting passers-by, from those who returned from war. The women of my people you evict. Everyone from her pleasant house, from her children, you take, you take my splendor forever. This is how they exploited them. Chapter 7 and verses 2 to 3. 7 to, well, we'll start at verse 1. 7, 1 to 3. Woe is me, for I am like the fruit pickers and the grape gatherers. There is not a cluster of grapes to eat or a first ripe fig, which I crave. The godly person has perished from the land, and there is no upright person among men. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince asks also the judge for a bribe. And a great man speaks the desire of his soul, so they weave it together." See how they exploit the people, those with more power against those with less power, like a wild animal against a domestic animal. Verse four, three, four. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face from them at that time because they have practiced evil 
deeds. God's now saying, these same people who are practicing evil deeds will pray to God when they are desperate and God's not going to answer them. This means that God doesn't always answer prayer. God doesn't answer the prayer of everyone. Just because somebody prays in desperation does not mean God will answer. Why? Because they have practiced evil deeds. People think they can call upon God whenever they feel like it, whenever they're ready, whenever they are desperate. They cannot choose the time of prayer. They must always pray. As the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Ceasing. Uh, Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the Spirit. We should always be praying. But these people, they, they don't pray. And then when they do pray in desperation, God says, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. Verse 5. He turns his attention to the false prophets and will contrast the false prophets to the true prophet. Verses 5 to 7 entails the false prophets. Verse 8, the true prophet. Verses 5 to 7. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. But against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. The false prophets lead the people astray. If a blind man guides a blind man, both of them will fall into a pit, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 15, 13 and 14. Thus, these false prophets are leading the false people astray. They are enticing them. They're putting, they're dangling a carrot in front of a hungry man and saying, this is the way you should go. Follow me and everything will be fine. And further, when the people, when the people give the false prophets food, wealth, whatever they want, then the false prophets will say, peace, peace, everything's going to be fine with you. But the other people who don't feed the false prophets with anything physical and material, the other people who don't put something in the mouth of the false prophet, the false prophets preach against those people and say, holy war, we need to have war with them. They're no good. They're only criticizing me. They're not doing anything right. That's what false prophets say. So it's all about who's feeding the belly of the false prophets. If there's enough people feeding the belly of the false prophets, they'll say, You people are just swell. You people are fine. You're going to heaven. Peace. Everything will be just fine with you. But not to their detractors. The detractors have a declaration of a holy war against them. The detractors are the true prophets and the true people of God, like Micah. Verse 6. Therefore, what's God's punishment against people like this, false prophets like this? Therefore, it will be night for you without vision and darkness for you without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets and the day will become dark over them. He's using figures of speech to say, you're going to be miserable. You claim to have visions. You claim to have divinations. You claim to have a word from God. 
but you don't, and you know it, well, I'm going to make it dark, dreary, and miserable for you. I'm going to make it destructive for you. I'm going to bring a punishment on you. You're you're not going to see any daylight. It's going to be night always for you. Verse 7, the seers. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners will be embarrassed. Indeed, they will all cover their mouths because there is no answer from God. A seer saw visions. That's why they're called seers. In 1 Samuel 9, 9, prophets were first called seers, 1 Samuel 9, 9. And then later in Israel's history, they were primarily called prophets. But the two words are interchangeable words because prophets often see visions, so they're called seers. And the word prophet actually means to be called. So they are called by God to the ministry. So either seer or prophet. Seer emphasizes the fact that they see visions. Diviner means that they seek, like in verse 6 and 7, a diviner or divination is finding from God or from evil spirits what the future holds for the people. This is what they do. They divine, and when they divine, they divine in false ways, in wrong ways, to figure out God's will, to figure out the will of the divine, God's will. They do it in false ways, therefore, because they do it in false ways. And what is the false way? They don't go to the Bible. They go to their own wisdom. They go to other uh, people. They go to false prophets. They go to false teachers. They pretend they would just make it up as they go and say, God told me when God didn't tell me anything which is what Jeremiah preaches against in Jeremiah 23. So these kinds of people will be ashamed and embarrassed. False prophets and prophetesses will be ashamed and embarrassed because God will bring a miserable, humiliating destruction upon them. Eternal hell, eventually. Um, indeed, they will all cover their mouths because there is no answer from God. To cover the mouth is asserting that they're going to be mourning. They're going to be mourning, and yet God's not going to answer them. He's not going to answer them. It's going to be useless, pointless to receive an answer from God. When they should have been seeking God and they didn't, now they will be mourning, they will be bemoaning their circumstances, they'll cry out to God, but God won't answer them. He's not going to help them. No answer from God. This is the approach and the punishment of false prophets. Verses 5 to 7. However, what does the true prophet do that false prophets do not do. Verse 8. On the other hand, I am filled with power. And what does he mean when he says, I'm filled with power? He explains further, with the Spirit of the Lord. The true prophet has the Spirit of the Lord. False prophets do not have the Spirit of the Lord, no matter how many times they claim to have the Spirit of the Lord or a word from God. They are false prophets. They deserve the wrath of God. The true prophet, though, is filled with the Spirit 
of the Lord. 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11 says, The Spirit of Christ was within them as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The true prophets have the Spirit of Christ in them. Micah had the Spirit of Christ, here called the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord Christ. Further, he's filled with justice and courage. He's filled with justice. You see, a true prophet understands matters of justice. He knows what's right and he knows what's wrong. He's filled with that. It's a part of who he is. Such as it says in Psalm 119.53, burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Why is he filled with burning indignation? Why is David filled with burning indignation? Why is he so hotly angry? Why is he? Because of the wicked, and that's the opposite of righteous or the opposite of just. The wicked forsake God's law. So it wells up within him to be against it. He wants justice. He cares for justice. Wicked people don't care about justice. They love injustice. And further, he's got courage. He's full of courage. False prophets, they are courageous to an extent, only to the extent that they are united against the true people of God. But the true people of God will only be, in a given situation, a very minute percentage of the people. So they've got courage to preach against, let's say, the 1% of the people. But they don't have courage to speak against the 99%. The true prophet of God has real courage. He's full of courage to speak against whom? 99% of the people. 1 Kings 22 In 1 Kings 22, remember when Ahab was about to go to war and all the false prophets were saying, go for the Lord is with you and you'll have success. But one prophet, one out of the numerous prophets, only one prophet, Micaiah, son of Imlah, was there, a true prophet of God, to speak against all the false prophets telling Ahab, go ahead, you're going to have success. Only one, Micaiah. And He went against the crowd, even on pain of imprisonment and death. That's what he did, because he was full of courage. God's prophets are full of courage. True prophets, real courage, moral courage, not only physical courage, which is an aspect of this virtue, but often moral courage is more necessary than physical courage. Because few people have moral courage. They might have physical courage, but not moral courage. We ought to have both, both physical and moral, spiritual courage. And to what end? He's filled with power, which is the spirit of the Lord, justice and courage. He has all of these. To what end? For what purpose? To make known to Jacob his rebellious act, even to Israel his sin. True prophets expose the rebellion and sin of the people. 
False prophets don't reveal, don't expose, don't preach against the rebellion and sin of the people. They don't say anything about it. They say it's not a sin. Everything is not a sin to the false prophets because they want 99.99% of the people to think that they are good and that they all will go to heaven when they're not. It takes this, these virtues, the spirit of power, the spirit of the Lord, justice and courage to actually tell people they are rebels against God, that they are sinners against God. This is what the prophets did. Study Isaiah to Malachi, and this is what the prophets did. All of the prophets did this. They preached against the sins of the people. Verse 9, he returns to the leadership. Now, hear this, heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and twist everything that is straight. He gives us, in a nutshell, their basic character. They hate justice, but Micah says he's filled with justice. He's full of justice. They hate justice, and they twist everything that is straight, which means they're crooked people. They hate justice, and they are crooked. We are about the straight path, the narrow path, the highway of holiness. Isaiah 35, 8, the highway of holiness. But they don't care about any of that. They want to do the opposite. They are twisted and crooked people. Micah says that to their face. You are crooked. You are twisted. He tells them directly. And the evidence of it, verse 10. Who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with violent injustice. They don't care about their own people. They just care about their own promotion. They just care about their own pleasures. They just care about their own purposes. They only want to do what they want to do, even when it means enriching themselves, empowering themselves based on the bloodshed of the common people. They don't care about the people. Most rulers do not care about the common people. No matter how many times they tell you they do care, don't believe it unless it shows in their actions. And then if you follow their actions, you'll see that they are all about bloodshed. All about bloodshed. Whether the bloodshed of innocent adults having no justice in the courtroom or if it is the bloodshed of Cute, cuddly little babies. They don't care. They are happy to chop them in pieces and butcher them as many as, uh, times as they want. They're happy to do that. Further, they have profiteering happening, profiteering, money-making. They're greedy people. Verse 11, her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe, her priests instruct for a price, and her prophets divine for money. He's using synonyms for the same thing. Basically, it's bribery. Under the table, psst, I'll give you this. 
if you judge my case in a certain way, I'll give you this money. I'll protect you. Whatever it is. They do it for a price. They do it with bribery. This is how they accumulate immense wealth through briberies. They won't be content with the income that their position holds, which is based on the people. The people pay for the leaders. The people pray for the priests. The people pay for the prophets, right? That's how it happens. Well, why can't you be content with it? You want the barber to be content, leader, right? You want the cook to be content, right, leader? You want the driver to be content, right, leader? Well, why can't you be content? And you're even making more money than the cook. What's wrong with you? They're greedy people, covetous people. And not only that, not only do they have the love of money, which is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Not only that, that's 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10. But notice this contradiction. Yet they lean on the Lord. They lean on the Lord. Saying, is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. They lean on the Lord. What's he mean? He means they practice blatant wickedness and then they take God's name in vain by saying, God's here among us. We're his people. After all, this city, it's in honor of him. Right? This nation is in honor of him. The temple in this city of Jerusalem is here. His name dwells there. The Ark of the Covenant is in there. The Holy of Holies is in there. The priests of the Lord are there. Our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? We have the law of Moses in our hands. So they lean on God and they say, God's here in our midst. So nothing bad's ever going to happen. How wrong can they be? How wrong can they be? Didn't didn't they suffer defeat many times in the book of Judges and Samuel, which all happened before the time of Micah? All happened before the time of Micah. In 1 Samuel 4 and Five, four, five, all the way to seven, four to seven, they lost the Ark of the Covenant in the time of Samuel, a great prophet. They lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. And yet they say things like this, which means they are denying reality. They should know their own history. They know their own history. They're just not believing it because they don't want to repent of it, of their sins. They deny their history to avoid repenting of current sin. They ignore their history to avoid repenting of current sin. And then with false hope, calamity will not come upon us. Nothing bad's going to happen. So the conclusion of the true prophet, verse 12, the conclusion, therefore on account of you, because of you, 
Zion will be plowed as a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the temple, the mountain of the temple, will become high places of a forest. It's going to be so devoid of people, it's going to be a heap of ruins, it's going to be like a forest where wild animals roam and no people roam. It's going to be plowed as a field. There's going to be no habitations there. People are not going to live there. Why? Because the enemies will come and destroy everything, destroy the temple, which eventually happened in 586 BC, about 125 years after Micah preached this, it happened. And the Babylonians came, destroyed the people, and made very, very few people able to live in their own nation. Either they were massacred or they were exported or deported into the Babylonian Empire. So it did happen, just like Micah said, which, by the way, is quoted in Jeremiah 26, 18, where in Jeremiah's time, about 100 years later, Jeremiah 26, 18, in Jeremiah's time, Jeremiah is preaching the same as Micah, and the leadership wants to assassinate Jeremiah, wants to assassinate and murder Jeremiah for saying the same thing as Micah. But at the time, one of the men said, wait a minute, we got to be careful with what we do with Jeremiah, because Micah said the same thing as Jeremiah is saying, and in Micah's day, Hezekiah, our king, who lived in Micah's day, Micah chapter 1, verse 1 says so, that he preached in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So Hezekiah heard these very words, and he was a good king. He heard these very words, and he did not presume to put Micah to death. So they are convinced in Jeremiah's day, listen, that man, he, he, our colleague, he makes a good point. Hezekiah didn't put Micah to death, so we shouldn't put Jeremiah to death. And they didn't put him to death. At least not at that time, they didn't try to do that. Same message, that Jerusalem will fall. Jerusalem actually did fall. Second Kings chapters 24 to 25 detail the fall of the kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem for their sins. Okay, now let's highlight some points that we've made here. One, and I'd like to do it primarily on the basis of New Testament passages because of the propensity of the pe- of people today saying that we can't apply the Bible. The Bible is inapplicable to our circumstances. And we especially cannot apply the Old Testament because that's in the Old Testament. And we're not under the Old Testament. We're under the New Testament. And... God in the New Testament is a God of love and he would never do the same thing in the days of the New Testament in which we live. Okay, people say that and it's completely false and heretical when they say that. So let's try to primarily take New Testament examples of the same. Let's begin with Christ and proceed on to the apostles and then to us in the church. Firstly, with Christ. With Christ. Didn't Christ also have to combat the leadership of the day? Yes. Yes, in Matthew 22 to 23. 
Matthew chapter 22 to 23. And we'll just highlight some verses to illustrate our point here about Christ. Matthew twenty-two fifteen. Then the Pharisees went and counseled together how they might trap him in what he said. 22, 15. 22, 23. On that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and questioned him, so forth. 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. Further, chapter 23. 23, 13. 23, 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. 15, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte. A proselyte is a convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. And he goes on to denounce them. Christ denouncing his colleagues, fellow teachers of the day. Jesus did so, and he did so many times. And they also worked against him. John 11. John 11. They also worked against him, not only to trap him in his statements, but actually to arrest him and kill him. John 11. 11.47 to 57. John 11.47 to 57. Select verses here. 47. Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Verse 49 mentions Caiaphas is in that council. Verse 53 says, So from that day on they planned together to kill him. And verse 57. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. Seize him, arrest him to put him to death. But what about us? Are we told the same? Yes. Matthew 24, 24. Matthew 24, verse 24. He says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. The elect will be the targets of the false Christs and the false prophets, which includes us. Let's see a few examples in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 17. But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life, and who is adequate for these things. That's the true preacher right there. The false ones in 17. For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. A contrast in 17, false prophets and preachers to the true 
ones. The false ones are peddlers. What's a peddler? Doing it for money. Not doing it because he actually believes it, but doing it for money. Chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 4, then 13 to 15, 1 to 4. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with the godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid, lest as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit whom you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. Verse 13. For such men, the men who are deceivers in verses 1 to 4, controlled by Satan, 13 says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan even disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. Should pastors and preachers also understand matters of justice? Should we be preaching justice and matters of justice? Should we understand what true justice is? I don't mean social justice, which is atheistic, communistic, and it's a false gospel. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what the Bible says is justice. Should we be experts in justice? Yes. In fact, 2 Corinthians, since we're there, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. 13, 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Every fact is to be confirmed on the testimony of two or three witnesses. When Paul goes to Corinth, he's going to check why there is dissension there, and he's going to check every fact by two or three witnesses. 1 Corinthians 5 Sorry, 1 Timothy 5, 1 Timothy 5, 19 to 21. 1 Timothy 5, 19 to 21. 5, 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. 
Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Two or three witnesses maintain the principles without bias, nothing with partiality. And the whole church should do this. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. The whole church should understand justice. Matthew 18, 15. And if your brother sins, go reprove him in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The church's concern should be justice with every transgression that happens, unrepentant transgression that happens in the midst of the church. Then what about evil? Remember, they abhor good and they love evil. Should the church be the opposite? Should the church, should the church love good and hate evil? Or be like the leaders. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. 12 verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. 12 verse 9. 12.17, 12.17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is good, or expect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Further, Romans 16.19, Romans 16.19, for the report of your obedience has reached to all, therefore I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good, and innocent in what is evil. Wise in what's good, innocent in what's evil. And also 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 to 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 to 22. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil evil abstain from every form of evil what about people or leadership exploiting the people of the church do pastors exploit the people of the church do they rob them do they do wrong firstly we'll see that jesus condemned it Matthew, uh, not Matthew, Mark. Mark 12, Mark 12, 38. Mark 12, 38 to 40. 
First, we'll see Christ condemn it and then more examples of the church being warned about it. Mark 12, 38. And in his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They are the ones who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. They're exploiting widows. They are tearing off the skin of widows and chopping them up in pieces and eating them. That's what they're doing. Like Micah described. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The true minister of God behaves the way Paul did. And he's going to contrast his behavior, his conduct among the church in Thessalonica with the false prophets, the false teachers who infiltrated the churches of Thessalonica. Watch this. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, 1 to 12. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children." Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He says in verse 5, We never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. They didn't come with flattering speech to get the goods of the people. They didn't do that. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.